This week's episode of South London Hardcore is sponsored by the Brixton Pound, a hyper-local currency that ensures money spent in Brixton sticks to Brixton. On the 15th of June, the Brixton Pound are launching the Brixton Bonus, a new monthly draw, where for just £1 to go, you can stand a chance of winning 1,000 Brixton Pounds. You can enter via the website, brixtonpound.org, or at one of the many participating vendors. So you can win 1,000 Brixton Pounds. After the jackpot is paid out, the rest of the money is split between the Brixton Pound and the Brixton Fund, which is a series of micro-grants that encourages community activities and works for social justice. So, for your chance to win 1,000 Brixton Pounds and support the local community, go to brixtonpound.org or visit a Brixton Pound vendor and sign up now. Welcome to South London Hardcore, I'm Jack McEnroy, my co-host is Steve Walsh. Hello. And our guest this week is Stephen Graham. Hello. As we put together the South London Hardcore playlist, volume seven, six tracks from South London artists from across the years. (laughs) First track is Mumford and Sons, White Blank Page. Give her your heart, your heart, as well as your body. And can you lie next to her and confess your love, your love, as well as your folly? And can you kneel before the king and say, I'm clean, I'm clean? Tell me now where was my fault In loving you with my whole heart Oh tell me now where was my fault In loving you with my whole heart I've got it written down my notes as blank white page, which I think is quite telling. You've got that <laughs> written down as a blank white page. <laughs> yeah, by my connection to this song. So it's from Say No More, their debut album. <laughs> oh, I just cringed already at that title. <laughs> Sold uh, well over 3 million copies in America alone. How many votes did the Tories get in Britain <laughs> They are kind of the ultimate punchline band, aren't they, these days? There was a feature on Pop Culture Happy Hour uh, last weekend and they talked about pop culture pariahs. Mm. And it is these bands that people just use and it's just like they're only ever talked about with vitriol or used to make a point. Or used to distinguish Nickelback being like their number one. Uh, U2. It was quite funny. Muse. Someone suggested yeah. no. U2. Muse aren't in that category. Muse are in that category. No. Yeah, I mean, I would not, say... not, They're not high in that category. No, I disagree category. completely. Well, well I, I just... I think, punchline. I, think you, I think when people put U2 in there, I think that's... That's It's ignorant, well. I think. Because, I mean, the early stuff is like universally acclaimed, isn't it? Yeah. But, go, but quickly going back to Muse, I mean, yeah. 
they're not far down the list after like you know no well my perception of, obviously it's about perception my perception yeah. of that is Muse are not in that category I've had my troubles with Muse but no way do they fit into the Coldplay's of the world the Nickelback's yeah, Nickel- the, uh, the uh, Mumford and Sons the thing Muse. about U2 no way. Like, I obviously growing up loved U2 yeah, yeah, yeah. but now I don't like them uh, but it's nothing to do with the music. I haven't listened to it in rages. It was the whole. It was the the hypocrisy of yeah, yeah, demanding yeah. that people raise funds. Well, and the music got terrible. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the thing as well. The music's yeah, not yeah. good. But yeah, as you say, the early music is undeniably good. Yeah, yeah exactly. So and and the middle music. Yes, Axel yeah. Baby's yeah. the best ever album. Yeah. What were we saying though? Mumford and Sons. Sons. Well, I had never listened to a Mumford and Sons track before. The only contact I've had with them is through Marky Smith, who hmm. a few years back seemed to like attach himself to them in terms of like they are everything that's wrong with modern yeah. music apparently he was at a festival and they were like doing a sound check and he like grabbed someone from the festival and went get them to shut up because he couldn't handle the sound of them and and they went he went who are who are they who even are they and one of the band went they're number five in the charts at the moment and he's like what and you get the feeling that it's sort of like generated enough material for like another two albums but apparently um, they wouldn't stop sound checking. The festival wouldn't stop sound checking. They just threw a bottle at them uh, across oh, right. the yeah. Um, That's controversial. And then um, a couple of years later, uh, I read a bit in the interview. And this is the thing. This is my only contact with Mumford and Sons. Just Marky e. Smith using them as his own. Only contact with a lot of things, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he was talking about how he hates going to awards ceremonies. He goes, "There's no point. These young bands just want to sit there talking about stock portfolios." He goes, you're sitting next to the killers. And all they want to talk about is diversifying their shares. He goes, uh, you're sitting next to Mumford and Sons, you might as well be sitting next to Ernst and Young. <laughs> so that's, that was, that's the problem. Like, I went into this sort of going, not, you know, and I'm, uh, uh, you know, I think old enough and wise enough hmm. not to understand that Marky e. Smith has the, the, you know, the ideal view on the world and I should follow him blindly. But I was like, and I'd never heard any Mumford and Sons. So, and my other association was them as a punchline band. Your Mumford and Sons and stuff like that, isn't it? Never read that? I've never read that specific yeah. punchline. Have you never heard, <laughs> what's the really, really famous one with all the stomping? Uh, is it Little Lion Man, maybe? Mm. You've really... Oh, that's another one, no, but the radio one where they're... I'm not talking about an adverse, Hank, maybe. You've definitely heard There's like two tracks that sort of knock about. So yeah, they've never had a... A hit single, really. This one got to 116 in the charts. I think mean, you're not being. Yeah, no, but this is a yeah, this is early days. But like you know, they're everywhere. I mean, this is not how you measure things anymore, is it? No, no, like Florence and the Machine. Like it's the fact that you've heard her on every single advert yeah. for yeah, yeah. long periods. I came across Mumford and the Sun in like 2008 and went to see them. Wow! On the, how did that uh, That's really on, yeah, yeah. This was like this song was knocking about on an EP, I think, at the time. Um, I was going to see a guy called JJ Pistolet, who's now in the vaccines, uh-huh. um, and like I pitched him a video, and I pitched Mumford and Sons a video for this in right. 2008. They didn't reply. This is why you chose this. Wow, oh, so you've got an axe to grind here. Basically, yeah. basically yeah. him uh, pitching his uh, where's the director. That's fine. But no, so I saw them at um, Dingwalls in Camden, and it was on the River Rat Pack tour, right? And Dingwall Steve is next to. A canal, wasn't it? Asking me about Camden. I think, right? <laughs> they were all on a barge, like going up and down playing gigs Amazing. along the. Amazing. Yeah, which is like perfect for like the, the pistols uh, in '77. Very similar. Everyone who went to see them on that river rap had sort He's in the vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I, I like this song, man. And I kind of, I didn't really kind of see them becoming like a massive punchline. T- telling silence there when you said that, and they were both like. No, I mean that was obvious from your opening comments, but 
I mean, I don't listen to any of their other stuff, you know. The um, thing that struck me initially, before even listening to the song, and it possibly affected how I listened to the song again, was when I went to YouTube to find the thing. The first thing that came up was a lyrics video. Yeah, and then all alongside, that. it's all lyrics videos. And you're like, oh, people have this idea. They, you know, you just sort of like, people have an idea about them as being a sort of literary band, mm. where the words are so important, you can't just hear them, you have to read them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but you can get that for any song. No, but like, but like, yeah, like honestly, something like but the, the four, or no, no, well, the four is a bad example. But, but any band, you can't put no, no. But I'm talking fun. like along the side. It's like 95 percent lyrics videos. I would argue that there's, there's no, but isn't that because no, you clicked? A yeah, I think it's because you clicked on a lyric. No, video. no, when, no. When I clicked on, I clicked on their their name and the title of the he song. He specifically googled no lyrics. The first no, but that's because there's no the video for the song. There's a live performance and then there's the lyric video. Right. And once you click into the lyric video, it's probably going to give you. No, but this is before clicking onto lyrics video. When you go with the options for the video in the middle, is the lyric videos up and. And along the side, other songs, it was like ninety percent lyrics videos. Yeah. So let's talk I mean, about you're right. Lyrics. I think you're right. The conclusion yeah. is right. And I think, uh, and I think that's because their fans are sort yeah. of like this. The words are so important here, guys. Well, I think, they, I think more. We need no more evidence. Than <laughs> Don't you think it's strong no lyrically? Ooh, what's that? I, I, I think. I think it's interesting lyrically. This song. I think it's quite oh. showy lyrically. The whole sort of repetition. Yeah, thing. my affection, your, oh, my folly, my body. But also the sort of the, the constant repetition. It, it, it's a very definite. Uh, use of a technique, isn't it? Well, it's a, grasp, it's a grasp towards the folk tradition and the ballad yeah. tradition, and yeah. it's just, it's like everything in the song, everything about Mumford and Sons, it's just a canned, contrived, boilerplate, yeah. cookie cutter version of right, right, something right. that was once more interesting, I think. But the thing is, right, um, his parents, Marcus Mumford, they founded the Vineyard Church in Britain. Did you know that? No. I like, know. I kind of, someone said, listen to this song in 2008, they're Christians. That's what they said to me. Right, yeah. So he's kind of talking about celibacy in the song, isn't he? He's, or, well, maybe not celibacy, but yeah. certainly like, yeah. you know, some kind of... Purity. Like purity, exactly, yeah. And he's talking and about like the, God and stuff. Yeah, and I don't know, like man. I find, that, and... I find that interesting from the, yeah. from the go. Oh, you see, I didn't. I no, just, no, clearly. But I, 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 I just like, when it was like blank, white blank page, blank white page, whatever. Oh, oh, and then it was all about purity. I was like... Autologous, isn't it? Autologous. It all just seemed very sort of... One note, yeah, and I then mean, also the, the fact that when it opened, I was like, "This just sounds like a very bland folk thing." And yeah. then about a third of the way through, it goes bombastic, and I was like, "That is what you do." All the songs do. That's all the songs Well, I just thought that's what you do if you weren't a very good. Well, there's no craft there as well band. because they've got this, this folk idiom where there's chords that are going to be repeating and right. there's lines that are going to be repeating. Just bring in order, the accordion in it? order to bring <laughs> in order to bring drama to that, and in order to bring a kind of a shape, you just get louder. Right, Which yeah. Which folk people wouldn't really have done. Yeah. Because you don't need to, because the richness is in the narrative and it's in the maybe delivery. maybe Pixies influence. It's Pixies meets... Um... Oh, look. <laughs> <laughs> loud and loud and quiet. Yeah, I mean, that's a familiar dynamic. But no, but with this, it's it's so see-through. It's so transparent what they're doing. Like, every song has just got this straining at, at the folk thing. And then they just go... Rrr, 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 rrr. <laughs> it's so desperate. It's really bad. And uh, yeah, I rarely use this word, but it's so pretentious, I feel like. Yeah, that's mm. what so like. pretentious. Well, I mean, if you're walking around in like a waistcoat and like a granddad hat. And now they're taking on the... the have you seen them recently? They've, they've shifted completely and they're wearing leather jackets and... Dexies. They're like Dexies. <laughs> it's really bad. They're going to be preppy for the next one. It's really bad. But um, it's interesting with this because it does connect with some of the other tracks on this on their six songs because... The theme of appropriation just jumped out at me with a lot of these. Right. We can talk about that later, but it's just... I've got a quick question. I've got a theme for the show, brilliant. <laughs> um, what's the South London connection? He's what's from Wimbledon. And let me make it even more specific. My aunt used to babysit him when he was a kid. That's Marcus Mumford. But that might be too specific. <laughs> <laughs> you have a real history here. 
Oh yeah, big time, big time. You were you were destined to one day. But when my, my aunt was like, you know that uh, Marcus Mumford, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, yeah, he's a uh, childmind him. I said babysit childmind Steve. It's deeper than I initially said. Because I was childminded by the Wonder London Boys, isn't it? So is that you know, a, trumpeter, a, trumpeter. a rich a rich tradition <laughs> within the show of uh, celebrity babysitters or babysat. But he's an AFC Wimbledon fan, and he sort of. Uh, has raised money for them, but I mean, he's absolutely rolling in it, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> like he always was. Like yeah, he always yeah. was. He's married oh, to Harry he? Mulligan. Yeah. They used to be like childhood pen pals. Right. Um, his, hair, his facial hair is really annoying. Yeah, I'll tell you what's <laughs> annoying as well, right? So he's talking about, he's like Samantha Cameron's favourite uh, yeah. band, yeah. and he seems to be happy about it. Steve, you're like this, you're like this. He said, he was, I was reading this interview with him, and he said he saw a picture, he saw a photo of Winston Churchill holding the door open for the Queen, right? And it made him well up. <laughs> Winston Churchill. Oh, uh, she must be the kid, isn't it? I don't know. Right, okay. Says it all. Tory. Tory, yeah. Track two, taking you back to summer 2001. It's DJ Pied Piper and the Masters of Ceremonies. Do you really like it? Do you really like it? Do you really like it? We're loving it, loving it, loving it. We're loving it like this. Do you really like it? Is it, is it wicked? We're loving it, loving it, loving it. We're loving it like that. Do you really like it? Is it, is it wicked? We're loving it, loving it, loving it. We're loving it like that. You know the score, rhyme so good I deserve an encore All about the star we bring, we make you laugh like when you was a little child again Smooth, that's how I roll, I got so much soul I wanna step into the party, I wanna move somebody, I wanna move somebody We're the masters of the ceremony, what does it take to be a garage MC? Personality, originality, on a microphone it got to be Captain you in the K-N-O or get down, represents out London town Pipe pipers on the decks, rockin' disco tech and I'm back in his set This one's for the heads out there, party people can you hear me clear? If you like it, let me see your hands in the air. If you don't, y'all get the hell out of here. Bass is kicking, drums is drumming. When you hear it, I'm coming. Sharp B represents the West of London. DT, Piper, Melody and Unknown represents the rest. Power flex, North, South, East, West. Is it, is it wicked? I'm loving it, loving it, loving it. Loving it like that. Do you Still really like it? Like it. Is, it <laughs> is it wicked? Number one in the charts, Two Step Garage. This is one of those songs that I I just couldn't stand it when it was out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. Um, same. And I still can't stand it. And it's it's something about it's everything about it. Yeah, it's. I, I was I've written it's an unlikely number one, but I mean that's it's quite a very a, that's kind of yeah, yeah. that's kind of a common feature of number ones, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. From, from granddad. The number one though, the phenomenon of the of a number one is a weird, weird mm. thing. Things that get to number one, crazy frog. Like, yeah, that is, you, there's real outliers to get, get to your, number one. You can't get your head around the fact that that would be the most sold thing that week. Yeah, there's yeah. no way to process Well, especially that, at that point when the charts could easily be gamed by the companies because they just throw it all in, big sales. You know, it's, it's not like it was in the 80s or whatever when there was a kind of an organic kind of groundswell for, for tracks which got them to number one. It's so easy to game with cheap CD singles and super. So Crazy Frog... I might have the time wrong. It was nothing to do with it being a ringtone. That we wouldn't. Oh well, that was it. No, totally, yeah. yeah but so people, oh, they, they, they weren't the buying the ringtone. No, no, no. But that was a promotion. Oh, no, yeah, but that's what I was thinking. Maybe if like it was a downloader, but that doesn't affect the charts. The thing. Not in those days. Does it now? Maybe. Well, you don't download ringtones anymore, but obviously downloads. Yeah, downloads. Yeah. Can I offer a counterpoint? To what? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, your your opinions on this song? Yeah, okay, yes. In that, in the summer of two thousand and one, this song uh, would have more or less passed me by. I would have heard it, yeah, bits and pieces because it was number one and sort of all over the place. Bit. But like, um, I uh, was never into garage, and I had a friend at work who was well into jungle. I and thought he, number Mason. Yeah, right, right. You, the thing about thought number Mason is. Uh, at Christmas, they get loads of like oh, private yeah. school kids Hyper to work. Boy. Yeah, oh, but the re- <laughs> okay. oh, and private school kids. Yeah, pri- private school kids to to work as temps. The rest of the year, it's guys from North London and South London council estates, and it's like a lot. Well, it was then. I have no idea about the current situation. Now. Well, Louis but, was there a couple of years ago. So yeah, it's, not it's, not it's not moved that far away. But my mate Ashley, uh, who like would produce his own jungle tracks, and like uh, we were always like talking about music. He was playing music for me, his own music and other people's music. And he hated Garage. Yeah. And so his thing was... And, like, so he was constantly telling me how terrible Garage was. So I never really listened to it. And then when I heard something like this, I was like, oh, that's Garage. It doesn't sound right. But listening to it now, I like everything about it. Oh, okay. I really enjoy it that's as a song. Do you like the acoustic guitar? It, everything about it. I love the video. <laughs> They're just having so much fun in this video. They are having a lot of fun. Yeah. It's clearly, like, it's these guys who are, like... Who, you get the feeling, sort of realise, right, this is going to be good, but it's not going to happen again. <laughs> Get a gong because we're not going to get a chance to do. Just mm. get everything, and and oh, just the the, the the way they're dressed. Yeah, they're, and even like the video looks very dated with the whole sort of like stare down the barrel of the camera, sort yeah, of yeah. very sort of a dated hip hop move. But they're clearly enjoying it. Just the fact that it opens with a gong. Yeah, uh, <sighs> and then one of them says "End of the Dragon" for no reason other than they've seen that happen in End of the Dragon. So it's just them. There is a there is a lightness to it. Isn't Absolutely, it? which, is, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is kind of appealing. Now you say it, and, yeah. and even then, once all the music starts happening, there is a kind of a buoyancy, like to the bass, and it's all kind of. And I, but I really enjoy um, some of the vocals as well. I, think I hate some... the main hook, though. It's so mannered. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the main hook. <laughs> there's a, there's a <laughs> but even that, I think, is quite fun now. I'm looking back at it, but as I say, I some, lift that some the, of the, the verses. Up, though. And of course, um, as we discovered in an earlier episode, the reason why some of the verses are quite good is they've got actually good MCs doing it. Comanche Sly, under yeah. the name of uh, the Unknown, Unknown MC, MC yeah. plus DT Melody Sharky P. <laughs> but yeah, just that moment, as I say, I, I'd never watched the video all the way through or listened to all the way through, so when I press play and like, it just opens with this gong, and it's just clearly this thing where, you know you see those mad homeware shops in South London where you can just buy like marble pillars Right. And like people just have them in the front room. Yeah, Do you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. Or like, like yeah, mad, like. mad sort of like ironware tigers. And people just, and you're like, who buys these things? And you could just imagine those guys sort of getting the budget for the video and going. <laughs> like Joey, like, like Joey, when he got his job, first job. Yeah, yeah, friends. yeah. and he's like, oh, do you want to like gong? We, get, we can get the gong in it, we can get the gong. And I'd love to, it's like um, the Edstone. Where did, where did that gong end up? One of them, like, has obviously sort of gone, I'll have that afterwards. Yeah, yeah. You also get the feeling as well, like, with uh, the fact they've got, like, women draped over in a video. You get the feeling they just sort of probably spent a month just going around uh, South London sort of going, do you want to be in a video? Just, like, looking at attractive women and sort of going, do you want to be in a video? And just getting these women to be in a video. Yeah. And then play Twister at the end. Yeah. There They're is a, a great yeah, time. It's homemade. And it's, yeah, yeah. It just feels very sort of natural. And I, I like the fact that they're having fun. And it is part of that prior tradition in Britain. Uh, well, it wasn't a tradition, but, like, it had been going on for 10, 15 years of underground dance movements, you know, hardcore, rave, all that stuff, bubbling up. Yeah. And just this huge explosion, which... 
the track itself isn't that interesting, but what it kind of represents and where it comes from is very interesting. So, you know. I think that's sort of a, yeah, an appeal and just how ridiculous it is. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's the, overblown. There's another song around the same time. It was like, ta na ni na na ni ta na ni na na ni ting bo he It's just so ridiculous. How does this song exist and how, why am I hearing it? Yeah. You know. And also, I'm just, I feel so happy for the sort of five people, whatever it is, involved. That, mm-hmm. like, yeah. they they're just money. like, they're kind of nobodies. And I met one of them at one point, and I can't remember which one it was. But like uh, my friend Tabo, we must have been working on a video, and he's like, he was in uh, Do You Really Like? He's like, oh, he had a number one hit. Right. Like these people. Did they ever have anything afterwards? None of no, they didn't. Like I don't think any of them had any success afterwards. I mean, Hijack Comanche Sly was in Hijack. Um, he's he was called Unknown MT on this, and they were signed by um, Ice T, and like so they didn't. They weren't like hugely successful, but yeah. their record, um, which you know me and Steve have both listened to, as uh, you know was it had a proper release and yeah, stuff. Yeah. But like these people kinda of went on to do nothing else of note, but like you get a chance to kind of be down the pub, yeah, you yeah. know, or the sandwich bar and say like, you know, I had a number one hit yeah. and like people know it. Like that's Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Everyone knows I'd that. love to have that claim. It, it's <laughs> one of those it's one of those one hit wonders, isn't it? The, and it it's a thing you see a true one hit wonder. You've seen it? that hook and people are like, oh, even if yeah. you don't know, DJ, you know, that rings a bell, and someone just goes, do you really like it? Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's not, I don't think it's a brilliant song by Stretch of Imagination, but yeah. I think uh, I'm really, uh, they just seem to be having a great time. You know, to go back to Mumford and Sons, isn't it? They don't, no one sounds like they enjoy themselves there, do they? No, exactly. It's very painful. It's very pained. It's like, <laughs> oh, this is horrible for all of us to do I'm this. So- where they, these are just sort of going, do you know what's great fun? Yeah. The summer of 2001. Yeah. What's the South London connection here? All oh, yeah. Them. So, is it all of them? I yeah. think all of them, yeah. Certainly, uh, unknown MC is from Brixton. Yeah, okay. yeah. But I think, yeah, I think they're all just from... And this is the thing, as you say, it's very interesting. It'd be interesting to sort of do mm. a sort of... Uh, Reunion. Music, well, music family tree, because obviously mm. you, the fact that you've got this guy who was in this like hardcore rap band suddenly turned up in his garage yeah, yeah, yeah. what of those guys and as you say no one's done, none of them have done anything uh, you know that's, that's made them famous since but I imagine they've probably done quite interesting things yeah, quite yeah, interesting sort of seeing what they would have done yeah, yeah track three is another number one Chemical Brothers Block Rockin' Beats <laughs> as a Manchester band they formed at Manchester University the University of Manchester I believe it's called <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
Tom Rowlands is from Kingston and Ed Simons is from Herne Hill. He went to Alain's. My experience with this song is almost the flip side of DJ Pied Piper and Master of the Ceremonies. In that I really liked this at the time and I listen to it now and it leaves me quite flat, I think. Yeah, I didn't know it at the time. I was not really into anything electronic in 1997. Child, Yeah, it was just like, <laughs> when's Be Here Now coming out? <laughs> but um, no, yeah, I... You know them from Setting Song. Yeah, yeah, I knew that. And I was like, what is Noel Gallagher up to? Because there's always that fear that, Noel, that Oasis were going to become electronic, like if you were sort of <laughs> as ignorant as I was. Um, they played Nebworth as well. Yeah, I mean, I knew I knew them, but I don't remember ever. I didn't really know this track. Um, That's interesting. I thought I thought this would be very much an insidery discussion about Chemical Brothers. Yeah, well, I didn't, but in the last few years, like yeah. I've got well into them, and I love the Chemical Brothers. Like they're such a big track in it, and they sort of they like they got so handful. I kind of got into them through the videos, like so, like get yeah, yourself high as electro yeah, and, you know, yeah, believe like they're just some of the greatest videos of all time. You know, I could put sort of four or five of them in my top ten. Probably. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but I think, I love them and like. This track, I was listening to this track obviously in advance, and like, I just think it's so, it's wicked. It's Is it wicked? Yes. <laughs> when this track dropped, though, I was well into the Chemical Brothers because my older brother, Gav, um, it's weird because in the 90s he started getting this new authenticity which was coming in where mainstream rock audiences were being allowed, like mainstream male, you know, a certain kind of listener who might like Oasis was also now given the allowance to like. Death and Vegas and Orbital and Chemical Brothers and NWA, you know, hip-hop and dance, even though they weren't based on real instruments. I'm doing mm. scare quotes. Um, yeah, they were kind of being allowed in through the back door of musical authenticity and, and the kind of gatekeepers of all that. And this, so therefore, I, I was really into the Chemical Brothers even before this album, through my older brother. So I had the first album, um, which was called Dig, Dig, Exoplanet uh, Dust. Exoplanet Dust, there you go. And then when the second Set and Sun came out, I just thought, this is the greatest track that's been, ever been released. Yeah, it's incredible. And I cannot wait for this next album. And then when Block Rock and Beats dropped, I just thought, mm, I don't know. But then the album was amazing, so it was awful. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm, I've always been slightly on the fence about this. It's just so, it's so blunt. It's such a blunt instrument. It's like, here we are. It's a bit like Hey Boy, Hey Girl. It's like, they have, they have much richer tracks, I think. Right. I, I don't, it's just yeah, so like at the time, as you say, like I was ostensibly into um, I- indie yeah. music, so I bought Melody Maker and Enemy. But at that point, they were covering. That's where I first read about the Wu Tang Clan. I first read yeah. about the Wu Tang Clan in Melody Maker because I wasn't picking up. Melody Maker in the nineties was was really great. Neil Kagani was yeah. uh, doing incredible yeah. stuff. But as you say, the, the the people that were writing for it were. Sort of, you know, you were listening to uh, yeah. Ethan Vegas, yeah, yeah, yeah. and like, you know, the fact that uh, when you look at the Nebworth lineup, the fact that the Chemical yeah. Brothers and the Prodigy are playing, and right? of course it's Manchester and big, and it's uh, all yeah, kind yeah. of coming. Yeah. But it all felt very natural, you yeah. know. You would go, you, and if you went to like uh, sort of ostensibly indie festivals at the time, you know, Prodigy and Chemical yeah. Brothers would be headlining Reading. They'd be headlining, yeah. you know. Uh, Glastonbury and it wasn't seen as a weird thing at all it wasn't seen as this thing of yeah. this is uh, in fact I saw the Chemical Brothers headline in Glastonbury right in 99 and, and then say at the time I, I loved the Chemical Brothers and I, I got Exit Play last when it came out mm. I got uh, Digger on Hell yes uh, when it came out and but I think I sort of you know you get a thing where you just listen to a band once you kill it I know I've and I think the same that's with me with them now where I listen to this and it just left me so flat, and I remember listening mm. to it at the time, and it was so energising the music, it was like irresistible. And now I find it irresistible, and it makes you sad a bit because I do remember 
like I went to Nebworth and then I went to see um, uh, Prodigy and Chemical Brothers playing Brixton Academy and they were like tremendous yeah. experiences and like I just feel sad that I'm disconnected from that. Have you listened to either of the first two albums recently? No, no. I listened to uh, Dig Around Hall recently and it was yeah, yeah. It held up. But yeah, generally I, I'm kind of a bit, I'm kind of a beige about Chemical Brothers now. But I do still love them. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I don't think it's bad by any imagination. It's, it's me feeling yeah. upset and me not feeling the connection that I knew I once had. It's a weird moment though this, wasn't it? Black Rock and Beats and uh, Fat Boy Slim and Big yeah, Beat and all yeah. that. Odd. It's got a bit of the, do you really like it's about it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, yes. it was, yeah, it was built on hooks, wasn't it? it was, particularly yeah. the Fat Boy Slim stuff, it was like unashamedly built big, on it. And it was, but like, but it was great. I really, and, and again, Fat Boy Slim, I haven't listened to Rages, but at the time, and, and loads of that stuff, it was, um, what was the record label? Skin. Yeah. And like, they had loads of people, uh, like Midfield General, mm-hmm. like doing some, uh, and as they stuff, and it is, I don't know, is it a thing where you just sort of like, I'm, I'm too old now to enjoy it in the same way? I'm not got that No, I think there's, there's, a, there's a, I don't know, I think there's a life cycle and there's a rhythm to the way music ages. And it's to do with like the generational cycles. You know, like for a time, the 80s, you just could never imagine the 80s being revived. And then all we've got for the last 10 years is 80s <laughs> revival. And it's kind of, it's happening now to the 90s. I don't know, it's just a kind of a... Because I still listen to electronic, but it's not like I'm sort of like, I don't, I don't listen to that sort of music. But there was a relationship of that music to its time, and there's a sight line we have in it now, which is quite particular, and I couldn't quantify because there's so many variables, but... I think I was much more immersed in music as a thing as well at the time, with the, yeah, so maybe with the, the thing of having well. the music press and having yeah. uh, a circle of friends that all listen to very similar music to me. You know, it's, it's sort of pre... It's not pre-internet. People had the internet. I didn't have the internet. So yeah. it was very much... And it was more social thing of going to gigs yeah. and then talking about them afterwards and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think I just got a different connection to Yeah, but I bet you still listen to other stuff that you listened to at that time. Not a lot. Not a lot. Okay. And it's funny. And like, but occasionally I'll have like a, a go down like a YouTube rabbit hole. Yeah. Where I'm particularly when they did that whole sort of anniversary of Britpop thing, and I was just like listening to so much stuff, and I was like, God, I used to love all this stuff. Listening to like uh, the Blue Tones and Slight Return. Tones. Yeah, and that's thing. And like, and at the time I was like obsessed with the Blue Tones. I just thought they were trends. yeah, I love them. Love yeah. all of them. Love yeah. all of the bands. And 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 now I just like find it. I, I don't have that connection to it anymore. And as I say, there's bits where you go, yeah, that wasn't a good album. Why did I buy that? But then there's other bits where I'm like, I'm sure I love this, and I just don't. It's not that I'm turning on it, but I was like, I don't feel the same way about it. The Chemical Brothers. I mean, I think they're probably push comes to shove my favourite South London band. Actually, they definitely are. Although I guess you don't call them a band, but whatever. Um, musical act, but not mm. not uh, not before Bowie or Mick Jones. Maybe the third, my third favourite. <laughs> but like, so like, I don't know. I mean, obviously, this is a long time ago, nineteen ninety-seven. But like that track they did for the um, Olympics, Velodrome theme for Velodrome, I thought it was well good. I don't think I heard that. I don't oh, it was really good. It was. It was I didn't was hear it, it much. It was, was like it a kind of craft work. Yeah, 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 really good. Yeah, because and, of Tour de France, because of that track. Yeah, right. Yeah, and they played Galvanize. You know, the oh, yeah. Galvanize. They Galvanize. just played that constantly for the opening ceremony. They had like an hour-long playlist for the opening <laughs> ceremony. They they've that, they've maintained. They, they've, they've yeah, maintained that's what visibility saying, yeah. and, and quality. Mm. I think. I saw them. I saw them in wireless only about three years ago, and it was mentally good. The thing that was really enjoyable for me about revisiting this one, though, was the fact that having to sort of look into it and around it for the sake of the show, uh, I was looking into the samples, like where they oh, came yeah. from. Uh, and then you've got the Schooly D sample, um, 
which is uh, the vocal. And like, I listened to that track, called, and the track's called Gucci Again, and I was like, that's a great name for a hip-hop song. Mm. But it didn't really grab me as a song. But then the, 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 the beat comes from uh, this group called 23 Skidoo, mm. uh, a track called Coup, uh, and I'd never heard of them. And they're an amazing sort of world music-influenced post-punk dance act. 23 Skid, I've never heard of them. I, I'd never heard of them. Yeah. And like, just listen to the original track that this came from. And I was like, this is amazing. So um, I'm sort of like uh, excited about what I've discovered yeah. through this song rather than this song itself, if that makes sense. I think you'd be well into them. Oh, yeah, I'm going to check that out. Because yeah, it's very rich. There's a lot of things uh, happening there. It's always funny when you when you follow a trail of samples, isn't it? Because you hear Absolutely. tracks for years yeah, and you yeah. go, oh, yeah, that's that track. And you go, no, 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 no. That's that, that's that, that's that, that's that. And also the thing of, like, uh, I, as I say, I've listened to this song so many times, it never occurred to me. I knew that Schooly D did the vocal, but I had no idea mm. about the, the sort of instrumental sample. So, like, just digging into that was uh, interesting. The video, as well, is a funny one. It's got someone from EastEnders in it. Like, one of the policemen that's chasing them is someone who's in EastEnders. So that threw me watching. I don't know the guy's name. I just recognise him from being in EastEnders. Also, I've got a problem with the narrative of the video. Have you seen the music video? Yeah. There's of two course. youngins on the run from the police, and like they go into a club to try and mer- sort of merge with the yeah. other clubbers. You know that's a good strategy. But the problem with this apparently underground industrial nightclub that they've gone into, they've got Sky News on. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I put, like yeah. a wanted poster up, and I was like, "What sort of club's this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's got like uh... wow, Flair's Britain. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's watching." Recorded at Orinoco Studios in Elkett Road, where they recorded plenty of stuff. Also got the title for the album from the studio. It was uh, Dig Your Own Holes Graffiti outside the studio on the wall, apparently. Ooh. Track four, Skunk and Nancy, Weak. Charts. I was sort of sure it was a top ten hit. No, for a band like this, it, again, it wasn't about the singles. Like it was about the singles, but not in terms of chart performance. But it was albums. It was live shows. Yeah, and I just think a more rock leaning group like Skunk and Nancy just, it, it just never. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it's funny you say rock leaning. Like I at the time uh, listened to Skunk and Nancy. I thought they were okay. It never really grabbed me. But again, reading about this, Kerrang were all over them. Apparently, yeah. And I, I just don't I didn't imagine them ever being a Kerrang's a different magazine to what it, what it is Ab- now. Absolutely. Or Very what different. It was 10 years and it was, ago even. it's gone through a number of different yeah. kind of... But, like, we've just listened to this particular track. Like, uh, in terms of, like, the instrumentation, like, in the video, 
these guys are going nuts on the old guitars, but it doesn't really come through. Like they've made the wise choice of keeping that quite low in the mix and putting her voice on top, isn't it? Yeah. So I don't know, like uh it's just her her kind of performative identity is very rock, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing she was all I really remembered from it was the vocals, but like the track just sounds so nineteen ninety six, doesn't it? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like just everything that happens with the guitars yeah. throughout, I'd forgotten it's, it was yeah. so much like that. all I could remember was the vocal, right? Yeah, which I think is good. I like the vocal. It's funny listening to the whole thing though, because it is. It's, it's so cookie cutter, uh, bush garbage. <laughs> yeah. It's that whole post grunge, quasi American, yeah, semi Brit pop, semi Brit rock. Well, I again, never heard the Brit rock until like three days ago, and I was in the middle of all this. I didn't realize. I think Brit pop. I think Brit rock is a kind of a retcon. It's not. Right, right, right. I don't. Think, I never heard Brit rock at the time. No, People yeah. now because Brit pop has been so. Tied up in this bow of like this period was Britpop. Like People are now saying Brit dance, Brit rock. Right, Do you know what I mean? Brit, right, right. the the Brit prefix. Name they're all just... retronyms, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, Britpop wasn't. Well, they're not all retronyms. <laughs> yeah. Some of them are retronyms. <laughs> but uh, no, it is weird listening back to this and how evocative of of so many other tracks it is. And it's again it's the appropriation thing. Like, and she, her whole persona, I don't know. It just. It, it wears thin. It's it's almost pretentious in the way that uh, Mumford and Sons is pretentious. Not in the same way, but in the same kind of the same fashion. effect. Yeah, the same yeah. effect. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I had such a vivid image of the video of like her kind of crawling towards the camera, singing those vocals. But when you see it, it's just ridiculous. It's a bad it? video, isn't it? Yeah, like I tell you, the first thing I noticed that video, combat combat uh, trousers. They were, <laughs> thing, weren't they? Well, combat. It's, it's, like, as we were saying with the music, it's so 90s kind yeah. of uh, tank girl almost. That yeah. weird kind of quasi-tech uh, scanner, not scanners, um, what's it called? Hackers. The hackers, all that stuff. It's that whole look, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's very dated. Interesting thing online where someone described videos taking place in an, uh, an airport hangar. And I was like, it's definitely a car park. <laughs> you can, you can <laughs> see the sky. Well, the first thing that struck me about the video after the combat trousers is, why is this in America? I mean, yeah. fair enough, you know, similar to the DJ Pipe Pipe and that. You get the budget and you're like, so we can fly to America and they're not going to mind. No. So what's the video? So we're sort of lying down in a car park. Could you do that in Asda? We could do it in Asda. And like, you see telegraph lines in the background and stuff. Yeah. And like, I suppose that's enough to justify it. But it's, it's weird, like though. a weird old... But it's, yeah, the whole thing's just sprayed with America, isn't it? It's yes, just... definitely, yeah. Yeah. But I, I have time for them as a presence on the scene at the time. If only... This is going to sound really condescending but if only because of her you know mm, black yeah. bisexual woman fronting a band that's powerful and she's a good front person yeah she is and I has... saw them live at Glassman they were you know they were a spectacle what was the name of the lead singer from Echo Belly don't know yeah yeah, yeah yeah um, but that was a similar sort of yeah. uh, aesthetic where she was a very sort of domineering presence yeah. in the whole setup. yeah and it's, it's, it's powerful yeah. it's quite funny as well just looking at the lineup. like uh, she's called Skin one yeah, of the guys one is names, called Ace, one's called Cass, and then the drummer's called Mark Richardson. <laughs> it's, it's like it sounds like uh, like a two thousand AD strip, isn't it? Until you get this like Skin, Cass, Ace, Mark Richardson, drummer. Uh, and I, even in the video, like they're all given, she's crawling around on the floor, they're, they're whacking they're and the drummer, away, yeah. and he's just like he's tapping away on one drum, yeah. and then towards the end, he's just standing there. He's like, oh, I can't, don't worry about it. <laughs> Oh, there, I was such a soft spot though for this whole moment in culture just because of the age I was and it's just it, yeah it's very very powerful it reminds me of so many films so many feelings I had at that time so many images I, I poured myself into you know the uh, 
2009 Rod Stewart cover. It's especially bad. I haven't heard this. Yeah. It's just, it, you won't believe how bad it is. He <laughs> just don't have the voice. There's a bit where he gets to the chorus, you're like, is he going to go big? But he just goes small. He doesn't have the voice anymore. <laughs> he probably, oh, he because anymore, yeah. I am. It's like oh, that. No, because he would have he been good back in the day doing it. Or he, good, yeah, but, but he would have been able Full to do on, it. I know yeah. what you mean, yeah. Whereas now. Yeah, I, when I read about it, I was like, this is going to be interesting. I was <laughs> like, wow. Yeah, it's a very odd thing. She is from Brixton. Track five is Moni Love, Moni in the Middle. Brother, what is with you? You can't take a hint. I need to shove a swing between your eyes for you to see you and me were never meant to be. Your whole boy likes me. I like him too. Get out the picture. I get your point, but I'm not rolling with the punch. I scrunched up the letter you wrote me in lunch. In fifth period, I paid no notice to the emotion. My work is on the table. My pen's in locomotion. Every time I turn around, you're looking in my face. I try to ignore you. The bell rings. I race out the room. Soon to another room. Sit down. What do you know? The love is in This is from 1990. Uh, she got two Grammy nominations, Moni Love. Only got to 46 in the charts. She's never been a sort of big... No. I knew this at the time, though. Oh, yeah, did you? Yeah. Oh, good. I, I, I did, did as well. Did. Yeah, 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 I mean, the other one, it's, it's a shame. I was going to sing it. It's, it's a, a shame. shame. <laughs> yeah. Which is a Spinner's sample in it, but yeah. Yeah. that's the one that, you know, that's the kind of bigger hit. Uh, yeah, I knew that one. I, I feel like I knew this one as well. I don't know. But she was, no, she was quite prevalent with, with, yeah. with like Queen Lasifu uh, yeah. guest appearances. and It's the whole Daisy thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, uh, it's remarkable. Like I remember at the time uh, being into a lot of the sort of conscious hip hop coming kind of like yeah. Arrested Development and De La Soul. Oh my god, I love Arrested. And and uh, Mr. Know, Wendell. <laughs> and it was incredible to sort of uh, read that she was a member of like Native Tongues, which yeah. was like a huge thing at the time. It was like this conscious hip hop collective um, that featured like yeah, inc- incredible people. How did she? How did she finagle her way? Over there into America. What? Yeah, she's from Battersea. I don't know. I couldn't really kind of work that out. Well, she was. She, she did, spotted. No, well, she yeah, she did hip hop in the UK. Yeah, she oh, she worked hard. She didn't was she? Yeah. yeah, she was. She was doing hip hop in the oh. UK, and and it's quite funny when you hear her voice now. Uh, she's got an American accent. But okay, she's like, bloody hell, yeah. and it still sounds. Uh, there's still sort of an English well, uh, twang to it. When you're rapping an American accent for so long, you don't. Just... <laughs> yeah, I mean, she, well, she went when she was 18, didn't she? And I yeah, don't think she's yeah. ever come back. Okay, so she's kind of yeah, she's got a transatlantic accent, didn't she? So what age was she for these tracks? Not much older. Not much yeah, older she'd be like 19, 20, yeah. I think. Yeah, it wouldn't have been. Yeah, she was on the. The song is about Big Daddy Kane. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, I mean, it's like a kind of school love track, isn't it? Talking yeah. about a guy and class, but it's really Big Daddy Kane who was sort of, she was on his tour and uh, he liked her, but she wanted to go out with Scrap Lover, his uh, dancer. <laughs> Generally, you'd imagine, if you've got a choice between the main act and the dancers, the dancers are usually going to be hotter, isn't it? Yeah. Like, out of Big Daddy Kane, and I, I've never seen Scrap Lover. I, so, I imagine he's hotter than Big so Daddy Kane. so disrespectful to uh, Big Daddy Kane. The Kane. <laughs> But yeah, this tour she was talking about, it was Big Daddy Kane's tour, and she's there with Queen Latifah. But you've also got like Digital Underground mm. that has like 
uh, a young man called Tupac Shakur on his first track, like touring with Big Daddy. Yeah, but no one obviously knows who Tupac Shakur is. He went on to become Tupac. <laughs> you may know him. He went on to become Dead. Great video as well for this. Yeah, yeah, really. it, um, it's I think so of the era, isn't it? absolutely. But I think I enjoyed it much more post Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. It's really got that yeah. sort of like primary colours, vibrancy, upbeat theme to it. Well, yeah, it, it connected with all the other with Dale Soul and yeah, with, absolutely. Uh, lot of imagery you see on album covers and stuff yeah I mean that's that's very interesting for me the track itself I, I like it but I don't know I couldn't I couldn't get rid of this appropriation thing I keep going on about but <laughs> it was just so she felt like she was just slotting into a, a kind of a persona and, a, and a, a rap style and a kind of a rhythm and I don't know it felt like a uniform she was putting on rather than something that came from somewhere else what do you think? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, she's talking about going to like high school. Exactly. She, yeah, she went yeah. To... I couldn't quite get over that. As she much probably... as it does, kind of flow, and, and the track itself is kind of effective as a as a hip hop track from that era. Like, but there's an extra level of layer of performance there, isn't there? Where it's yeah. her pretending to be the thing and singing the song about. Yeah, which doesn't necessarily need to be a constraint, I suppose. It can like that tension can produce something of interest, but I don't know. Yeah, the uh, chorus is quite catchy, isn't it? Yeah, Kanye West mentions it in. Uh... That's my bitch. <laughs> well, can you, it, it reminded me a bit of a couple of his tracks, actually. Some of the stuff on, on the early albums, especially um, Good Life, all that stuff. I don't know, I feel like there's a I weird... I was going to go crazy. <laughs> I was a big fan of the bit in the video when it follows them throughout school day, various lessons, and goes to a music lesson, and then just mess around on trombones and stuff. It's got, I got a lot out of that. Really, really sick with me. <laughs> Saffron Hardcore is part of the Holdfast Network. If you visit holdfastnetwork.com, you can listen to other podcasts, including Basement Tapes Radio, in which Sam and Harry pick a theme every week and play an hour of great music, stuff you won't have heard, stuff, occasionally things you will have heard, but it's just absolutely brilliant, and I can't recommend it enough. Just every time. There's just so many gems. Any music show that's taking a theme of nobility and then choosing tracks. I mean, that's strong, isn't it? That's, that's strong great. Though. I haven't listened to that. I'm going to go and listen to it. Oh, that's great. Track six, our final track, Tommy Still, Singing the Blues. I don't know if this is the only time it's ever happened, but Singing the Blues knocked off a different version of Singing the Blues <laughs> off of the number one spot. Yeah, so no. Guy Mitchell was number one on the 4th of January 1957. They didn't have that many songs back then. <laughs> <laughs> this knocked it off number one. And then the Guy Mitchell song got to number one again the week no. after. Tommy Still was sort of, uh, it's a cliche, in it? But he was sort of supposed to be Britain's answer to Elvis, isn't it? And got to number one in Britain before Elvis, which oh, right. tickled him, yeah. 
it's the sort of thing that makes me really happy that I wasn't sort of around in the 50s. <laughs> <laughs> like, the music situation was just dire, wasn't it? I mean, it's an element no, of, like... I disagree, actually. Well, let me, let me finish. Yeah. Let me finish. <laughs> of, like, accumulation of, like, you know, so if you were around in the 60s, you had everything from the 50s and 60s. Or if you were around in the 70s, you know, if you like 70s music, that's one thing, but you have everything that came before you. So, obviously, being alive the latest point possible, you get the whole back catalogue. Yeah. But, like, I mean... Um, 1957 wasn't up to much. I don't think. But the, you're ju- you're judging 1957. I'm not just judging this. I mean, if you like, yeah, it's about as fair as someone like judging 2009 on Mumford and Sons. No, that's but not also, true. Also, I, I think it would be exciting to be around 1957 because, uh, like, every day on the way to work, I walk past the Two Eyes Coffee Bar, which was like where Tommy still had his residency, and it became. It's the birthplace, birthplace of British rock and roll. So you could kind of go there. If you're alive in 1957, you're 18 1957, you can go and witness the birth of rock and roll in could, Britain. Yeah, and the That's birth... That's quite exciting. just stay in. No. <laughs> <laughs> the birth of youth culture, Teddy Boys. Yeah. The, the excitement of seeing Bill Haley rock around the clock in 1956, 55, 56. I'm parallel with it. But unimaginable. It was like their no, block no, rock but, and no, because what you had before that was what you, had, what you had before that was jazz. You had R and B, the classic old style R and B, where it was merging into rock. But suddenly you get this moment where it becomes this stripped down, really raw, really powerful punkish thing with Elvis even, and with, with black artists, obviously. And it's, it's, it's incredibly exciting. This is watered down nonsense. <laughs> no, I, I, also, I realize also that. even more exciting than punk because with punk, yeah, exactly. Had, punk was already youth in, movements, whereas this is. Like the first sort of youth music movement. Absolutely. So and like, the first working class. Like, this was shor- shortly followed by mods. The whole modern moment, modernism, cities, teenagers, modern self was emerging at this and time. And also, you know, as you say, we're in an enviable position to be able to look back and, and pick out whatever we want from the time. But we'll never have that same connection. We'll never, we'll never have a, a connection to music in the same way these people did in that in the sense of like coming from such a dull like almost ground zero isn't it to yeah. like uh, any sort of explosion and as you say the fact that this was seen as revolutionary uh, shows you how tedious the time was generally but what an exciting thing to to be part of to be to watch people sort of losing it over the fact that Elvis is moving his hips that's what I mean though that's fascinating to sort of like fascinating but I, I just mean I want to have something I can stick on at home <laughs> like not, not JLS rock <laughs> No, but you would have been going and playing music with your friends. You would have been going to the dance hall. Yeah, that's something like washball or something. <laughs> <laughs> but think of like the Beatles. Like, think what think was the point think of, of the excitement? Jack of Virgil on guitar. Washboard <laughs> is, is about your level. Uh, <laughs> no, but like no, but think of the excitement that it must have taken for the Beatles people yeah. that age at that time to get together and just play every day and play skiffle and play that stuff. It's because it was all really exciting. It's just so I just find it so bizarre, like. You know when you kind of hear interviews with musicians and they're like, yeah, when I first heard like the Stooges and you're like, yeah, I suppose. Or when I first heard <laughs> this, you're like, right. And like, yeah, when I first heard Elvis. And they, uh, I just no, lose no. the connection What you have to do is you have to, you have to contextualise it properly. So like, go and listen to Golden Age Broadway musicals, which unbelievably powerful music. Like That stuff from the 20s, 30s and 40s, that was a rich theme that has not been hit since because it was a coming together of classically tra- not so much classically trained but classically minded composers with an ear for harmony of a certain kind and improvisation with pop the popular musical and they were producing these unbelievable songs which were connecting with everyone which were really really powerful so it wasn't just like there was a dead zone and then there was this there was all that there was the war then obviously mm. and there was all that. but 
So, so what happens is you get this really, really fascinating stuff, and then you get this stuff that's just totally different from that and fascinating in a different way. And it, they would have heard it in the context of all that. So you're hearing it obviously in the context of everything that came after it, but. I don't know. You just have to. You have no, to lend I, mean, that I, moment. I understand. It's, it's, it's I understand. Dignity, it's just you know? that you just you just wouldn't listen to it, would you? Any of it? I no, but maybe you do. That's the thing. I, I mean, I was listening to yesterday. I was listening to the anthology of American folk music. Yeah, and it's all stuff from like the thirties and twenties mm. and forties or whatever. You know, Mrs. Lady John and stuff is yeah. brilliant. You know, mm. it's great stuff. Yeah. yeah, and obviously there is good stuff, but it just it seems like there was limited availability to stuff, wasn't there? Yeah, and like the stuff that there was. You know, you don't want to listen to it now. Whereas ten mean. years later, five years later, there's stuff that you like. I had Hard Day's Night on today, and like, I'll, I'll keep listening to that. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, I, I understand. Totally like, I, I, totally I, I understand that there was a certain moment. Obviously, it's the birth of the teenager and stuff. Yeah, but like, but that's the thing. Like as you say, musically, I don't feel anything. I'm not going to go and listen to a Tommy Seal album. But I think socially, it's fascinating. So I think you're right. Musically, it's no. Okay, but are we talking about Tommy no, Steele exactly. though? Or... Not Tommy Steele. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. But going back to Tommy Steele, then let's talk about this track. <laughs> It's like he doesn't know the lyrics, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he just goes through. Like, he's doing this kind of standard version of... Yeah. Sing in the blue. <laughs> Guy Mitchell, who who he knocked off to number one, then, you know, he knocked him back off, whatever. He knows the words. Yeah. Like, it's quite a different version. I haven't heard that. He just sings He sings, he sings the it. song, and it's There's a, a bit more bombastic. There's a about and... who's done the better version, isn't it? And people, like, comment on YouTube going... Guy Mitchell's whistling is clearly superior. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I kind of got a soft spot for this. Like as much as I'm kind of slagging it all off, I, I, I like it. But you know, yeah, I think it's I kind of interesting the fact he doesn't bother singing the words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just sort of mumbles his way through. It's <laughs> early Michael Stipe of the fifties. Um, <laughs> but does the Guy Mitchell one have all the the, the country music sobs and all you know the, ooh, all that really man and stuff and all the, the kind of weird um, barbershop backing vocals? Does it have all that? No, it's a bit more. Um, I don't know how you describe it, but like, because oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's more straightforward. This does, have, yeah, but that, yeah, that's what's interesting about this one. That it's such, it's so straight down the middle that it's, it's like we're fine. We have the backing vocals. We have all these signifiers which are pointing to other things. It doesn't go the full raw route that you might have gotten other people at the time. So it's very mainstream. Do you want to do your rant about him not showing Elvis fan? Nah, <laughs> we talked about the show five before, times like, <laughs> you know, in short. Tommy still said, uh, no, well, what it is, Bill Kenwright, who is the Everton chairman and uh, impresario, he goes, he once, he let out in an interview, he goes, oh, of course, Tommy still showed Elvis around London one day. And uh, basically, Tommy still lied. That didn't happen. And <laughs> Isn't there a chance Tommy still lied too? By who? An Elvis impersonator. Uh, well, 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 yeah, uh, the story is I that possibly so. one of Elvis's mates came over from Memphis and just sort of said, I am Elvis Presley. And I suppose it's possible no, that I they think, haven't seen what Elvis Presley looks like. I think what it is, is that Memphis Mafia crew, yeah, you know, those yeah. taking care of business guys, yeah. they tell more lies than Tommy Steele. Right. So they would just... <laughs> but, but what's it funny about this, uh, so this news story came out, you know, maybe Elvis did... Elvis never visited England. Prestwich. Yeah, is that Scotland? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he never visited England. So it's a huge news story, isn't it? It's come yeah. out, Elvis once visited England. But... The airport goes yeah, mad. <laughs> the airport just went mad. Yeah, they just not they just like They've immediately got a went. Up. Yeah, but that's the only reason anyone goes there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like suddenly their gift shop's just gonna sort of <laughs> hit, hit the floor. So they're like, no, this is not true. We're gonna need some evidence, and then it kind of went away. But I kind of I was embarrassed for Tommy Steele at the time because yeah. he's just an old man that's told a lie. And Bill Cranwright's, you know. But imagine if it was up. true. What shot in the arm for the London tourist trade? No, it's like some Elvis stuff. <laughs> he's a, a sculptor. Uh, as well as a musician. Do you know about this? 
No. Done a few uh, sculptures in his time, and this brings us back to South London. Um, He's done a sculpture of some rugby players that stands outside of Twickenham. Yeah. Really? Is Is it a steel sculpture? He did did, uh, a sculpture of Eleanor Rigby, which is uh, in Liverpool. It was a gift to the city of Liverpool to thank him for the Beatles. Oh, so he's he's found that one as a sculpture. He he acknowledges the (laughs) (laughs) pre-Beatles. And he did uh, a sculpture called Bermondsey Boy that was placed outside of Robert Hive Civic Centre. Of himself. I don't know if it was himself. Is, that's what his autobiography is called. I mean. Yeah, it yeah. is. But I mean, it got burnt down, so we'll never actually know what it looked like. How did you burn a sculpture down? I, well, this is the thing. When you said it's steel, I was like, it's like the Three Pigs, and it maybe he made his first one out of wood. Yeah, and he was like, they're right. going to keep burning it down. I made Eleanor Rigby out of straw. Oh no, <laughs> I'm going to make these rugby players out of steel. Yeah. I've learnt my lesson. Yeah, maybe his first stage name was Tommy Wood. Then it was Tommy. <laughs> uh... <laughs> it's funny that you um, think that. This song is so dull and, and boring, has no connection to it. Oh, it's the whole, whole era, isn't it? Right, right, right. But let's, I've got a sort of a bit of soft spot, but go on. But, so, but the song gets appropriated and used wholesale by The Clash on London Calling. Does he? The last line of London Calling by The Clash is the first line of Singing the Blues. <laughs> Which is what? No, hang on. Fades out. They sort of repeat. Yeah, the oh, no, oh, so it's an actual sample. The no, when it's fading out, like, oh, no, I'm Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like. He's, he's doing the opening line from uh, Singing the Blues. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, there you go. So there you go. Knowledge. We've connect it back to uh, a more dynamic uh, pop movement. Very good. And appropriations. Dan. And appropriation. Yeah. This week's episode of South London Hardcore was sponsored by. The Brixton Pound. Don't forget to sign up for the Brixton Bonus, their monthly draw, where just one pound entry can win you a thousand Brixton Pounds. Go to brixtonpound.org or visit a Brixton Pound vendor and sign up now. Mm-hmm.